0: Hello, and welcome to the Weekly Market Podcast by BNP Paribas Asset Management. I'm Daniel Morris, Senior Investment Strategist, and this week I had the pleasure of being joined by Whitney Jeronic, who is a Senior Research Analyst on the Global Emerging Market Equities Team, and she will be sharing some insights from her recent paper on fintech in emerging markets, so certainly a big growth area and a very interesting area. Before we get to that, though, a bit of a recap on what we've seen in the economy and in the markets over the last week. The big news, of course, finally getting the numbers on GDP growth in the U.S. and in Germany and in France, uh, all kind of fearing, dreading what we would actually see in terms of the results. And it's probably very slight consolation that at least for the U.S. and France, uh, the numbers were better than expected, but still quite ugly. Nine to 10 percent falls on the quarter in GDP in the U.S. uh, and Germany and nearly 14% in France. So really pretty clear indication of the impact of the lockdowns on the economy. But what we've got to remember is that most of that decline in GDP was driven by collapsing consumer demand. Uh, People clearly not able to buy and do everything they did before, but the hope still is uh, that that can come back relatively quickly and certainly more quickly than necessarily we saw after the global financial crisis. And of course, at the same time, we are really into the earnings season in the U.S., a little over halfway through now. Uh, And again, really, the results continue to be encouraging. Now, the headline uh, remains uh, quite to stressing minus 34% year-on-year growth for the companies that have reported so far. But if we exclude the energy sector, financial and airlines would have really borne the brunt of the suffering over the last six months. We see that earnings growth is about minus 13%, so really not so bad. But even more importantly, the earnings surprise is 20%, 20% earnings surprises for the companies that have reported so far. So even with these you know, extremely low expectations, that we had going into the season, companies doing much better than that. And remember, in a normal earning season, uh, surprises run about three percent positive, and we're running twenty percent. Now, the other thing to, to recognize is that that's not just technology. I think we're all aware that we had really strong results from many of the big companies in the technology sector recently. Uh, but their contribution to that earnings surprise figure is just sixteen percent. So it's really been pretty broad based across all of the sectors and the other encouraging point is that earnings guidance, again, for those companies that are providing guidance, and that's limited, uh, is still very positive. So all in all, despite the very ugly headline figures, uh, actually a pretty supportive earnings season so far for the markets. We also had an FOMC meeting where the message was very clear, ongoing support from the Fed, continued low rates, Uh, So, we've seen treasury yields getting near to the lows we last saw in March. Uh, At the same time, a rally in gold prices now that the opportunity cost of owning gold falls as interest rates are lower. And all of this, generally speaking, still pretty supportive for the equity markets. The last thing, of course, we need to take a look at how things are progressing on the pandemic front. Uh, In Europe, uh, honestly, getting probably worse uh, rather than better. More countries now, nearly two thirds of the big countries in Europe showing rising rates of infection. So ongoing concerns there, uh, impact in the near term on the holiday season, but certainly uh, concerns over the medium term about how able countries are going to be to maintain the degree that they've already come out of the lockdowns into the autumn. In the U.S., what we've seen is, fortunately, the infection rate has been declining, even as the number of deaths has risen. Uh, But we're hoping now that the infection rate, if it continues to fall, we should then, with a lag, also see the number of deaths falling as well. So still very much a mixed bag as we think about the data that's coming in on the pandemic front. That's it then for our recap. Let's turn to our guest speaker today. Uh, Again, Whitney has written a great paper on fintech and emerging markets. If we could discuss that paper, Whitney, you go into financial inclusion, which is one of the UN's sustainable development goals, and the role of financial technology. Well, what exactly is financial inclusion, if you could tell us, and why is it important for everyone to be financially included?
1: Daniel, thanks so much for having me. Um, So financial inclusion simply means having a bank or any other type of savings or a transaction account. Uh, This is something most of us in the developed world take for granted, meaning the basic conveniences of our bank accounts are a given. We often don't consider what life would be like without them, but millions globally are without this. um, And it's one of the impediments to their stability and advancement. So this is why financial inclusion is considered critical to global efforts to reduce inequality and alleviate poverty. These are two areas heavily emphasized in the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals. So while I focus in this paper on the emerging markets, where most of the world's uh, financially excluded populations live, the value of having basic access to financial services is critical no matter where you live. And a pure dependence on cash for these unbanked individuals is a source of instability and vulnerability. Uh, You lack a safe, secure method of saving or transferring money, and you have no hope of accessing credit. This weighs on productivity and essentially stalls or mutes overall development of an economy. So the advent of fintech has made basic financial services more available and affordable, which of course is going to be most impactful in the places where this was lacking, namely the emerging markets, uh, which I'll call EM. This is relevant to us as investors because banking and the services they provide are vital to every economy. It's the lifeblood for small businesses and entrepreneurs and essentially the velocity of money. At BNP Paribas Asset Management, uh, we have an emphasis on sustainability. And as a firm, our investment and stewardship focus is on the three E's, which are environmental sustainability, followed by energy transition, and finally, equality and inclusive growth. It's this last E, which is highly relevant in this case, uh, and the rise of fintech in emerging markets, uh, having had early observable influence towards improving financial inclusion, as a really relevant topic. So while FinTech is often discussed in our industry in terms of rapid growth or eye-popping fundraising rounds, there's been tremendous value creation outside of this in solving for urgent unmet needs, but this often does not get much attention. That aspect plus the incredibly innovative nature of the companies leading the FinTech ranks in emerging markets inspired me to focus my paper on these areas.
0: As you say, in emerging markets, there are still large numbers of people that traditional banks do not target or are not interested in, for example, because they're not wealthy and have low incomes or because they're micro-entrepreneurs or they live in remote areas. Financial technology can help combat this, I believe. Can you explain exactly how that works?
1: Yes, of course. So starting with where is the unbanked population and, um, and what does this mean, there are nearly 1.7 billion adults globally. Um, that's one-third of all adults, really, Remain unbanked as of the last tally uh, done in 2017 by the World Bank. Unsurprisingly, the largest unbanked population tail from Africa, Latin America, and a full 50% from Asia. And what's fascinating about the data on the unbanked, and often not very well known um, to those who may not be following financial inclusion, is that countries that top the unbanked list are often not without developed banking systems. They actually do have relatively high bank account penetration. But still, large portions of their populations have essentially been overlooked or viewed too difficult or too costly to service. Uh, China is a prime example here, the world's second largest economy, which has around an 80% rate of financial inclusion. Despite this, its targeted policy efforts over the last 50 years to extend financial services notwithstanding, it is at the very top of the list in terms of absolute unbanked population with roughly 225 million adults with no access to basic financial services. Um, China shares a feature with most unbanked regions in that its rural population is still quite large, and this represents a high cost of service hurdle for commercial banks. And there's also a legacy of banks in emerging economies um, being largely focused on large corporations or state-owned enterprises. So the incentive or upside potential in serving a small rural demographic simply is not there. And this is where technology has been so critical. It has greatly reduced the cost, taking roughly 90% out of the equation, which is why you now see many banks across EM pursuing digital strategies. Ironically, however, the major roots of fintech in emerging markets came from pioneers from other industries, whether it be internet startups or telecom service providers. These companies were bent on trying to reach and serve the masses, but stumbled when they realized it was hard to uh, transact or for them to transact. So they tackled these financial service gaps, arguably a means to their own ends, but this has not only worked out beautifully for their businesses, but has lifted millions out of financial invisibility and into bankability. Most started out offering simple payment facilitation or store of value functions. Um, in this respect, MPESA in Africa stands out. Um, this enabled feature phone users to store and send money via their phones as mobile phone penetration picked up in this region, and many of these mobile money users did not have pre existing bank accounts. So think of the incredible friction and loss that has been reduced for those that used to take half a day to deliver payment or pay usurious rates to send money through someone else often making them vulnerable to theft or other abuses. So this solution has essentially brought stability and resiliency to three-quarters of Kenyan's adults where this technology first came into use. And now MPEZA and other similar solutions are spreading rapidly throughout Africa. And Then you have the tech giants in China who built digital payment empires, beginning with the moneyed urban youth. But more recently, their reach is rapidly penetrating among rural populations and businesses, enabling individuals small and medium-sized enterprises that are most in need to actually gain financial identity through online transactions and now they are being extended credit to based on their digital histories. Basically to me the fintech phenomena across EM tells the story of incredible companies problem solving for seemingly intractable structural gaps. The other important important point is that it traces the proliferation of mobile devices in these regions as these have been the primary facilitator of digital access and, therefore, inclusion.
0: There are clearly substantial growth opportunities for fintech and emerging markets. Where do you see the greatest potential, but what are the main risks?
1: Uh, it's an excellent question. Uh, I think we will be answering that for, for years to come, but uh, it's an incredibly exciting time for fintech in emerging markets, and we really have front-row seats as, as it is evolving I actually see tremendous potential in regions where the government is taking an active role in both endorsing and regulating growth of fintech. In this respect, China serves as an instructional blueprint for the rest of the world in that early fintech players operated essentially without regulation up to a point in China. And then in the past five years, really, there has been more involvement Uh, by the central bank and the government. It's instructive because the effort in China has been to balance the opportunity that comes with innovative tech-based approaches while also controlling for the risks that come from rapid growth and fierce competition, um, which can give rise to fraud or risky practices and be really negative to um, the sustainable development goals. Uh, So this is a discursive process, and uh, China has, has Uh, provided a good example, but this will be ongoing and tested through trial and error over many years. China is inarguably the most experienced, uh, given the size of its fintech market, and therefore is now a leader in global discussions as other countries seek to strike the same balances. But two regions where I see supportive regulatory involvement and a population ripe for the fintech financial inclusion power are Brazil and India. Brazil's central bank recently launched something called PIX, an instant payment system, and over the last few years, they have opened previously closed market to pure online players in order to promote innovation, growth, and development. Brazil is a very banking-savvy market. A lot of financial services, however, had been unaffordable due to lack of competition, um, bringing the rates down, so the regulators basically opened the door to fintech to address this stagnation. It's been incredibly effective, and the explosion of fintech players and products has, has been transformational. In India, the government has actively restructured the financial landscape to encourage a shift from cash to digital and to loop in more of the population to the formal financial sector. This is aimed at both eradicating corruption and uh, recouping lost revenue dollars for the government, but also is towards promoting healthy and more sustainable development. So essentially, these regions feature a top-down recognition by the government and the central bank of the benefits of financial inclusion and of fintech as a means for achieving it. So we're seeing evidence of the same uh, rapidly spreading throughout the developing world. In fact, uh, I, I, I find it interesting that fintech often gets termed disruptive and is seen as a revolutionary rise. but or an overthrow, but I actually think tech-based financial solutions are a complement to what existed, extending reach, and therefore are more evolutionary, helping in the development arc of these regions. Inarguably, the inclusion of one-third of the world's adults into the global economy over the coming years means the pie is growing, and there is sufficient growth for all of course, the ultimate beneficiaries and what I find so exciting are the people in businesses who uh, previously had been unserved or underserved are finally getting a hand up in the world via these solutions. So the power of this feeding through to these economies and promoting further entrepreneurialism and innovation, I think, will be playing out for many years to come.
0: Thanks very much, Whitney. If I could summarize uh, what's just been shared with us, and I think it's been an eye-opener for most of us since we, generally speaking, uh, just assume that a bank is there, that the cash point is there. But if we imagine what life is like in emerging markets where financial inclusion uh, is absolutely not a given, as Whitney pointed out, nearly one-third, one-third of all adults globally remain unbanked. And if you think about certainly the U.N.'s goals to reduce poverty, how challenging that is if you don't have people uh, with some type of access to the financial system. Just think about the inability of accessing credit if if you don't have a bank account. Uh, So this is where fintech really is an exciting area. Uh, And if we think in general about the potential we always look for in emerging markets and the, the idea that in emerging markets you're able to leapfrog technologies because you can take all the learnings and all the lessons from the developed world and then start with a bit of an advantage, and I think that's what we saw happen a lot with mobile phones. And now, I think, along with the development of mobile technology, that's now being used to leverage fintech. So, really an exciting growth area, certainly for the equity analyst, something that they see somewhere where they see a lot of opportunity. And in terms of the markets, where Whitney thinks there's a lot of growth potential, uh, not surprisingly, China, Brazil, India, uh, countries where you have a large population, a growing population, and actually uh, a lot of wealth that's not distributed very broadly. And hopefully, fintech will allow that wealth. Uh, to spread and to grow for a much greater share of the population. Definitely want to highlight Whitney's paper. It's called FinTech in Emerging Markets, Cracking the Code of Financial Inclusion. You'll find that on our website and on our Investors Corner blog, which I encourage you to subscribe to. Well, that's it for this week. If you have any further questions, please do not hesitate to reach out to your BNP Paribas Asset Management contact. Otherwise, we hope you're enjoying holidays in the month of August, and we wish you all well. This podcast presentation includes a discussion on current market events and is not intended as investment advice or an offer of products or services by BNP Paribas Asset Management.